let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, it is our first Friday news roundup of the new year, and there's a recall effort against a liberal DC council member. There is more agita about shoplifting teens and snow, or maybe not. Yep, it is January, and we are going to talk about weird DC weather patterns too. I'm here with Axios's Junaid Dill and CityCast contributor Dan Reed. Today is Friday, January 5th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. So, Junaid, welcome. Hey, Michael. Happy New Year. You too. Hey, Dan. Hey, how are you? Happy New Year. I am good. Thank you for being here. Uh, so, Jeanette, you had a uh, little scoop this week in the Axios DC newsletter um, about a recall effort against Charles Allen, who's the council member from Ward 6, which is like Capitol Hill and the waterfront um, and that part of town. What is going on? Yeah, there's a Capitol Hill resident who sort of fed up with crime, has launched this very early stage recall effort against Charles Allen. Uh, now the step, next steps are they've got to raise money and they've got to collect a whole bunch of signatures, probably 7,000 at least, to force this kind of a recall, which, by the way, has never happened before for a council member. And they are taking on a council member who won just... Uh, in 2022, with over 90% support, he's a third-term council member, and they are trying to coalesce all a lot of sort of criticism that he's gotten from the police union and other and other people in the ward about his record on crime and his record on progressive policing reforms. So, Alan, we've talked about this before, but like Alan has become this enormous target, right? Uh, he's sort of uh, been cast. He, he was the judiciary chair for a while, and he's been cast as the kind of like face of the council's liberal block, particularly where it comes to crime. What? Who is he? What's his? What's his background? And and does that stereotype fit? Yeah, he's become sort of the poster boy for these people who are very upset with him over progressive policing reforms. Charles Allen took over this seat from his former boss, Tommy Wells, who was council member in Ward 6 for a very long time, a very familiar name to Capitol Hill folks. And he won with progressive support. He has retained sort of his uh, position as a liberal member of the council over those years and had a very important perch as the Judiciary Committee chair for several years before moving away from that. And now chairs other issues on transportation and the environment. But Alan, as you say, 
has become this person who people who are very passionately upset with crime, including the police union, seem to blame him probably many times unfairly over lots of random incidents of crime. He shepherded the criminal code reform that people might remember was blocked by Congress and President Biden. He took a lot of flack for that. And this recall is sort of the culmination of some of these haters that he's collected. Is it fair? I mean, is he uh, still and or ever a person trying to defund the police and and reduce the number of uh, prosecutions and make response to crime somehow less zealous? As I understand, after the George Floyd protests, there was a lot of obvious reconsideration of where money should be spent on policing and how to handle crime and and could the city do more in other areas to uh, prevent crime instead of traditional policing. I think Allen was one of the key people uh, supportive of that. So when you talk to him, he wouldn't say he defunded the police, but he wanted to find other ways uh, to tackle crime, not just with traditional policing. In an environment where much of the country was outraged over the state of policing in America. And so now what you have is these people, many on Twitter, who look at crime stats and they see it gone up in D.C. very dramatically. And they will just blame Charles Allen for that, whether that's fair or unfair, right? You know, it's, it's kind of very much a stretch to blame someone on the council for a carjacking. But uh, that, that is what Charles Allen is facing. This is a problem insofar as that it'll be a pain for him if it dogs him over the next year. If this group actually can raise funds, which we have yet to see, of course, it, it just started. And if it can actually begin to collect a lot of signatures, it will just be a pain for him at the least. At the most, it's a legitimate chance for a election to be held that will test whether he can stay in office. Who is behind this recall? I mean, uh, uh, she's not a familiar name from like the sort of public fisticuffs of D.C. politics, but there's a lot of people who are familiar names who have it out for Charles Allen. Yeah, the leader of the recall is this woman who has lived in Capitol Hill with her family since about 2000. Her name's Jennifer Squires, a former federal government worker who had previously voted for Allen. And she sort of lives near Tyler Elementary School, where she's witnessed some uh, incidents of crime, including last year, there was a incident where four people were killed one day last March. And so she's not, you know, your sort of typical ANC member, right? Or some kind of civic activist who everyone sort of knows. She is, from what I can tell right now, someone who is is sort of just a homeowner and was kind of actually not expecting some of the media attention this recall got so early on. But like in my experience, at least, random civilians who are not that involved in politics don't usually organize fairly complex, financially challenging campaigns without, you know, coaching or a nudge from people who know the game a little bit better. Do you have any sense that she's connected to anybody who's sort of an established player? So there are lots of rumors about that. What I've been able to find so far is the police union chairman has said they are not involved right now. But it's something the union is going to consider supporting if this goes forward. 
There are other people, sort of very well-known strategists inside DC politics, who I haven't been able to suss out that they are advising or involved in any way. There are some who say they will volunteer to collect signatures. But so far, there are no big names that I can attach yet. But that doesn't mean they don't exist, and it doesn't mean they won't be part of this effort, at least moving forward. Right. And getting signatures from 10% of a, of a ward's voters is not uh, easy, necessarily. So I think there's probably a lot more recalls threatened than executed. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. All right. So at the opposite end of the crime uh, politics news spectrum, um, some people have noticed, and this is a, a, a subject that I know is near and dear to Dan's heart because they are a person who's fascinated with sort of what public space means and so on. These signs at the DC USA Mall in Columbia Heights, which is a, a mall, but it, within the city limits, saying no one under 18 without a grown up. And this is in response to something that's been gotten a lot of attention, which is a spate of store theft activity, including one that like cleaned out the CVS in uh, Columbia Heights too. Uh, some uh, stores, particularly popular with Young's, have uh, closed. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's often talked about like sort of as, a, as an emblem of like chaos. But it's interesting because, you know, living in a city, you assume that storefronts are like public space and people can walk wherever they want. But that's actually a privately owned mall. And so they can say, here's who can come in and who can't, I guess. What do you make of this, Dan? Yeah, so you know, I think we've all seen the news stories over the past couple of months about the empty shelves at the CVS on 14th Street uh, as a result of shoplifting. And then I think I saw this one picture of like, instead of putting the products on the shelves, the store staff put like photographs of the items, little picture frames, and you'd have to go and ask uh, to get your toilet paper or your, your detergent or what have you. And it, it makes people worried, right? This isn't the first time we've been here, right? When there are, I think, high-profile incidents of crime <clears throat> or disorder in a community in D.C., in the region, young people are often the first to be blamed, right? Because you see kids hanging out, you see these things happening, sometimes you see kids doing the behavior, and you assume you fix one, you fix the other. So, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm curious, do you think uh, banning teens at D.C. USA would make you more likely to shop there? Do you do you how do you feel shopping there now? Do you shop there? No. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just not, it's just not close to me, but, um, and, and I don't, I don't believe in driving to a different ward to go to Target. 
<laughs> well, so me personally, I used to shop at the Target in DCOSA a lot more. You know, it's uh, I live in Silver Spring, so it's right down the, the 16th Street bus. Uh, and honestly, the reason why I don't go there more is because it's just really busy. You know, the lines are always very long. It's hard to find a person if you need any help. And that has a lot to do with the fact that the store is understaffed. And it turns out that one of the reasons why shoplifting may have been in May is perceived to be an issue in a lot of retail stores, especially on 14th Street, is because a lot of these big chain stores like Target and CVS are grossly understaffed, uh, which means you might have two people working the entire store in the case of CVS. So someone can easily sneak out with items they want to take. And also a lot of these big chains have a policy where if you see somebody shoplifting, you do not engage them because they don't want that to escalate into like a bigger altercation. Uh, so that may have as much to do with why shrinkage in the retail language is happening as the actual people who might be doing it. Either way, there have been a number of curfews sort of because of a recurring theme in the DC area in the past couple of years. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, you know, DC had a teen curfew uh, and they reinstituted it last September. It focused on seven major commercial areas in DC, including 14th Street. And basically it said that kids under 16 have to be off the street between 11 and 6. So Unlike the mall, which is all the time, these curfews tend to be at night. There are other malls that have curfews. Uh, Columbia Mall in Maryland has a curfew, but it's only on Friday and Saturday evenings. And Prince George's County introduced a summer curfew in 2022 that was also basically late late nights and overnights. Uh, they chose not to bring theirs back in 23 um, because the police in Prince George's County found that it actually made more sense to focus on the very specific locations where crimes occurred, as opposed to having like a blanket curfew for all young people. Right. And I think cops in general want to go and bust criminals and being like the chaperones for teens who are out late uh, is not in a lot of people's view, the best use of their time. But, you know, look, I think this, I think the, the thing with shoplifting, what you said about the, the understaffed stores, which may be, uh, big chains, national business models, mm -hmm. but I think it 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 sort of speaks to this moment, and, and it, it also reflected in the the crime politics that are getting uh, the recall effort against Charles Allen going, which is like, do you look at this spike in shopliftings uh, mm -hmm. as a sign of like societal chaos? Right, things are breaking down. People don't follow basic rules about not stealing stuff, and we should be scared because if they're breaking rules against stealing stuff today, they might be breaking rules against murdering somebody tomorrow. Um, or is it that like, look, uh, teens, uh, including all of us, some one day, uh, uh, are going to be knuckleheads and having more adults around to say like, hey, man, don't steal that. Knock that off or you're going to get in trouble is kind of the way knuckleheadish behavior is corrected and uh, taught against. Um, and that somehow in the pandemic and in the, the kind of nature of, of these understaffed chain stores, we have lost some of those opportunities to pull knuckleheads up uh, without the criminal justice system being involved. I think it might be the latter, right? You know, I, I think it's first, it's, it's worth acknowledging that like the, the pandemic represented this like huge, like cosmic trauma for a lot of people. And I think that's why you see folks acting out in ways they may not have just a couple of years ago. But one of the things, you know, when there have been studies of teen curfews around the country and in this area, the results have been kind of mixed. And one of the things they found with DC's teen curfew 
is that when you took people off the street, as in teenagers, you know, or other people, um, it actually encouraged crime because you didn't have what they call like eyes on the street to sort of deter things from happening or even be witnesses if something does happen. And so there actually is an argument that if kids are in public space, they are able to fully participate in society and thus it creates an opportunity to sort of enforce those norms. Like the idea being um, violent crime is going to happen when the, the violent criminal thinks no one is watching. So just the more people who are out and about, the uh, less opportunity there is. Exactly. Like even if those people are knucklehead teenagers. Right. And to your point about, you know, cops not wanting to babysit people, you know, another thing that they found is that curfews tend to lead to increased racial profiling because if cops, you know, if they are required to, you know, accost kids for being out too late, like they can't accost all of them and they're going to tend to focus on certain kids in certain places. Well, so on that same thing, how are they enforcing the, like at this mall, enforcing the no teens rule? Do they just stop anyone who looks young? Uh, that um, seems to be the case, you know, in the, there was an article in, in WTOP that mentioned, you know, shoppers saying security guards were simply just stopping kids who look too young uh, from going into certain stores. And that, that might be the extent of it. Like, you're going to get carded to go to the mall now, it seems. <laughs> yeah. As a former DC teenager, I, I, I do recall some businesses have had signs that would say, like, you can't come in if you're like a high school student or something at a CVS. Or it's like you got to leave your backpack by the door or some kind of policy like that. But I feel like it's a bit of a different thing when it's a whole mall doing it. And Columbia Heights is such a busy cityscape. That's And I'm, uh, just for that matter, a mall that has like Target is a store that sells staples, you know, mm -hmm. diapers and stuff. Uh, and it's not like a you know, a, a store that sells like only clothing popular with teens. And uh, so, you know, I imagine a bunch of families that are going to send teenager up to pick up diapers for the younger kid. And that becomes trickier. Not, you know, still a big city with a lot of diapers available, but still. Yeah. This is a Band-Aid onto a bigger problem. You know, the mall only has so many tools at its disposal. It's, it's not DC. You know, it can't do some of the other things that you might want to do to address teen uh, misbehaving, like more programming or gang prevention or just, just giving kids stuff to do. Like it's the mall, it's target. Um, hmm. but hopefully it'll maybe prompt a bigger conversation about how do we address this issue. Speaking of things that prompt conversation, I assume that you all have uh, found yourselves in conversations with people who are saying, it might snow this weekend, because there's a chance it might snow this weekend. And this, uh, this excites our semi-Southern DC culture. But on the other hand, it might not snow. Um, and it might just be like ugly, cold, and rainy. And there was a... a, a great uh, capital weather gang explanation of why this seems to happen so much here, which is uh, the rain snow line. Do you guys know what that is? Sounds like a line to me. <laughs> Do you know which direction it goes? Uh, usually I'm on the rain side because I'm inside the beltway. Is uh, it different than the Mason-Dixon line? Yes. In fact, it's perpendicular 
to the Mason-Dixon line because DC, as you all know, being uh, shrewd local media figures, uh, is kind of near the ocean and kind of near the mountains. And uh, on the mountainside, uh, the air is going to be colder and the ground's going to be colder and, and it's more likely to snow. And on the uh, ocean side, uh, not so much. And so there is often, when you look at weather forecasts in winter here, a line, a rain-snow line that's kind of cuts right through D.C. so that the the eastern suburbs, particularly the southeastern suburbs, are liable to get a lot less snow than the western suburbs closer uh, to the Appalachians. And it's it's weirdly not a north-south thing. It's an east-west thing. And it just so happens that, you know, unlike some cities, Washington is really like kind of dead center on that kind of line, uh, which it doesn't explain how much snow we get or don't get, but it explains why there are so many forecasts that are uncertain about whether we'll get any at all. Yeah, most of the big cities on the East Coast sit on the fall line, right? So I, I wonder if this is a thing that happens in like Philadelphia and New York and stuff too. I think what, and I think what happens here too is that because, as my Canadian spouse is frequently reminding me, uh, people here are very poor at dealing with the logistics of snow. Uh, just the prospect of it gets people excited, gets them talking. And then there's, as Junaid, a former DC teen himself, will note, there's always the inevitable letdown when the snow day fail, fails to materialize. Do they have snow days anymore? Like, or do they just switch to like virtual? Like, they have snow days. That's, oh, yeah. that's a oh, great question, actually. <laughs> I was looking over my high school paper, actually, the other day, and one of the stories we ran way back was, don't worry, the snow days we had, we're not going to make them up or so, that, that sort of thing with holidays. Um, I'm, I'm glad to know the kids are still having snow days. I mean, it's nuts, right? A, a few years ago, like I think Fairfax County Schools, like one of the biggest counties in the country, were closed for an entire week after a single after a single storm that wasn't even that big. Yeah, I think this is sort of like the fall line illustrated, right? The the big counties, you know, if one part of the county has a lot of snow, all of the county has to close their schools because the way everything's connected. All right, so what do you guys want Saturday? Would you like it to be cold and rainy, or would you like to actually have snow? I'm got, pro snow. <laughs> I, I got stuff to do. So uh, if if the snow could wait until I am like safely asleep or like at home, not having to do things, that would be really nice. Um, all right. Well, I'll try to arrange that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full in the snow camp. I think it. I think DC gets really nice and beautiful and slow slows down everything. And at least if it's just the day you don't really impact much else. So I'm looking forward to snow again. Hopefully we get some this year. I think I'm with you on that. The things I find most uh, distasteful about snow in DC are the way it interrupts like even normal tasks that ought to proceed with or without snow. Um, and the uh, inevitable uh, people spending too much time talking about it. But, you know, I could just maybe take a lesson to use the snow as a chance to get off media for a little while and, and and maybe fix that for myself. All right. Well, Dan, I wish you luck with your errands on Saturday. Thank you Thank for you being very much. here. Thank you. Um, and Junaid, also awesome to have you here. Thanks, Michael. Glad to join you guys. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our senior executive producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our senior producer is Julia Karen. 
Our producers are Elizabeth Kama and Dylan Brogan. And our newsletter editor is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. Susanna Brown assisted with production this week. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, tell someone who really wants snow this weekend. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye.